0: In a moment, I'm going to have you pull your Bibles out if you brought them with you. But before I do so, I want to give you a quick little family update. If you recall, we've been uh, coming into a new part of our fiscal year. And if you've been with us a long time, you know that a couple of years ago, we changed our fiscal year, our budgeting year, to run differently than the calendar year. So July 1, we began this new fiscal year. And if you recall, if you've been with us for a while, at the end of... The last calendar year, so think all the way back to December 2015, I began to share that we needed to make some halftime adjustments so that the last half of our fiscal year, the beginning of this calendar year, we'd be able to finish the year strong uh, to end up not in deficit. And so with great joy, I can let you know that not only did the congregation, all of us, not only did we respond through our giving, but the staff as well Got more efficient, learned to stretch the dollar in ways that we were able to cut expenses. And we finished our fiscal year of 2015-2016 in the positive by just over just over $3,000 in change. And so we count every dollar and we, we celebrate the fact that we ended up in a positive way. But in addition to that, what's even more exciting is all the work that we've been doing for weeks and months actually leading up to the beginning of this fiscal year as a staff, we've been going through a very thorough budgeting process. And in doing so, I can let you know that we've been able to really aim towards what we believe God has for us in this fiscal year heading forward. Now we're two months in, July and August. We're now halfway through September. But in those first two months, I wanna let you know that giving, we've collectively given $95,000 above what we projected in just those first two months. So we're celebrating that. Let's give thanks to God for how, how we as a family are responding. And the staff, we're playing our part as well, and many of the staff are giving as well uh, in the finances. But in terms of overseeing and managing and being good stewards of what we as a church family are entrusting, the leadership here, expenses are 8% below what we budgeted as well. So on both sides of the coin, we're really excited this season. Let's give thanks to God for all the things God is doing. So exciting. And that's just, that's just a sliver of the picture of the life that Christ has for us right now. Let's pray before we go into God's Word. God, as we gather before you, we know that in this moment, we have to rely upon you. There are certain seasons where it's easy to not rely upon you because we can provide for ourselves. God, never allow us in those moments of plenty or in want to miss the fact that all of our life, every relationship, every penny, every breath we have is an absolute gift from you. May that humble us, may that empower us, To leverage all that you give us for your glory. May we learn that today as a church, as a family. In Jesus' name, we pray together and we say amen. Why don't you grab those Bibles right in front of you in the pew if you brought one with you or if you have a mobile device. We're going to Colossians 3. In a moment, I'm going to read for us verses 12 through 17, and as you go there, I want to let you know that uh, many people have been taking me up on this, but I've been saying for the last couple months, if you don't own a Bible, uh, if you don't have uh, a hard copy on your own, take one of these pew Bibles. It's not stealing. We'd rather you have it. And I've been kind of perusing the pews, and uh, every week there's less and less Bibles. We can refill them. And that's a good thing. I would love, uh, even if you know people in your life, that if you have a conversation with them and they say, you know, I don't own a Bible. Say, I know where I can get one for you. Whether you pay for it yourself and you order it from a store or online or you take one from here, let's get God's word into people's hands because we know that in it we find life, we find truth, we find the fullness of all that God longs for us. So in a moment, I'm gonna read first Colossians 3 verses 12 through 17. It's on page 958 if you have a pew Bible. And let's dig in as we continue this series on relationships. Let me read. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms hymns and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This, my friends, concludes the reading of God's Word. All right, so keep those Bibles open. We're going to Stay here for this morning, and if you've been with us the last couple weeks, we've been in a series focused on relationships, and right in the beginning of the month on the Labor Day weekend, uh, we took a look at how it's only in God's Word that we can find the truth and the fullness of who we are, and as we want to grow in our relationships, because let's face it, we all need to grow in our relationships. None of us have perfect relationships, whether it's at home, extended family, your parents, your kids, your coworkers, with neighbors, those that are close to you, those that are far from you. We have relationships and we spend so much energy trying to, to maintain, to grow, to build, to reconcile, to mend, to repair. All the things, all the energy that we spend on our relationships, God says, I want to help. You don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to mend those relationships on your own. You don't have to make a mess of it on your own. And even when you do make a mess of it, I am here to comfort you, to guide you, to lead you. And if you were here with us last week, we took a look at this very profound truth that many of us, as we look out on this world, we see the conflicts that arise around us. While there's many reasons, we've got to understand that there's also a war within us. There's a conflict within. Within us. I'm going to bring this over here and uh, as I do so, just a show of hands, how many of you were here last week when I began to introduce this concept? So I've gotten a lot of emails uh, over the last week and you know, it's been fascinating how much this has resonated with different individuals over the last week, but I shared uh, a couple. They are uh, Christian therapists and they've developed what they call the Restoration Therapy Model from Scripture, and I, just as a quick summary, they, they give this image of this, this cycle, this war, this conflict that is within. And on paper, it's kind of represented this way, that when you are in a conflict with somebody, a boss, a spouse, your kids, a neighbor, that these feelings begin to arise. And maybe in the midst of that conflict, you begin to feel, let's say you feel alone, or you feel unloved and no one wants to feel alone or unloved and so we begin to deal with these feelings and the way that we deal with these feelings on our own strength with our own resources in our own way naturally as humans we begin to cope and we all cope differently we have different mechanisms, things that we've learned maybe from our background, our family of origin, from the group of friends that we are with at the current time, but we begin to cope by, for example, minimizing those feelings or minimizing the conflict. Or maybe some of us turn to addictions, or maybe it's sarcasm to deflect Some of the things that are stirring up within us. And so this this cycle is what you might call a a pain cycle because it is a cycle. And the truth is is that as you begin to feel alone and you begin to, let's say, get sarcastic, maybe scarcastic... A little more than sarcasm, but scarcasm. You know, people don't wanna be around you and so actually those friends are now no longer there and you feel even more alone because people aren't responding to your texts and your phone calls and your Instagram likes are starting to get less and less and less and you're thinking, I used to top 25 per post and now I'm down to three. But some of you, it's like, I used to get 10,000 likes and now I'm down to 9,000, this is the end, I'm alone. And on and on it goes, and there's this pain cycle, and you could call it a hurricane, a hurricane of pain. How do we break free from this? How do we get out of this cycle? Because the truth is that we all have this cycle within us, and so therefore, as we go throughout life with this pain cycle, as we feel and as we cope and as we feel as we cope, we begin to bump into other hurricanes of pain around us, and it begins to be magnified. And especially in close relationships within family systems, with, between spouses, we begin to see how we actually perpetuate one another's feelings. We actually enable others in their coping mechanisms. And this pain cycle gets deeper, more embedded, more solidified, so much so that we just think, well, this is how I guess it is, and this is how it's going to be. And then we cope even more and those feelings get deeper and more profound. Well, there's hope. Now on paper, you could put it this way, that if there's this pain cycle, then we could say that there is something that needs to free us. And these therapists, the Hargraves, have said that if there is truth that you receive into your life, that you're actually not alone that actually you are loved. That if those truths come into your life and really resonate with you, then then there's gonna be some actions that pour forth from that truth. That you might forgive. You might be humble. You might be patient. You might desire to grow. And these therapists say that this is what we would call the, the peace cycle, that as you begin to allow that truth to pour into your life, what it does is it doesn't minimize the feelings, it doesn't bury the feelings, it doesn't uh, even pretend that the feelings never were there in the first place. But There's this sense that the truth can do something with those feelings. That rather than cope, you begin to enter into this peace cycle. Let's pray. Are you kidding me? That's it? Can't do that to you. This works on paper. It doesn't work in life. Right? You think that's it? No? There's something on paper that has to be experienced. I was talking with Henry Cloud after the morning service and he gave this great illustration. He says, so for those of you that own a home, you have a deed to your home. On paper, that thing says that the house is yours. But if you put all your energy and all your focus on the deed, if you just try to get your shelter from that piece of paper, If you try to get warm at night from that piece of paper, if you try to get out of the rain, though it rains only twice a decade here in California, you know, just that that paper is not gonna do it for you. You have to experience what that deed points to. You have to get into that house. You have to live in that house. You have to experience what it is like to be in that house. Some of you, you own cars or you've maybe rented a car before, or you lease a car. Well, whether it's a title or a piece of paper that gives you the right to drive that car, that piece of paper, the title, the rental agreement, the lease agreement, you, that, that won't get you anywhere, just that piece of paper. But what it does is it points to the very thing that you can get into and experience. This truth, to get into your life In such a profound way that it can actually do anything in your life, it has to be experienced. It can't just be this concept out there. And it can't be something that you just convince yourself. Someone who feels alone can't just bring the energy within themselves to convince themselves, I'm not alone. You need someone outside of yourself, not only to speak that into your life, you have to experience it. And through the experience of not being alone, through the experience of being loved, and then as you experience forgiving others and being forgiven, as you experience humility, and somebody else being humble to you. You see, as you begin to experience those things, and it takes action, it takes work, it's not just in your head, it's through your entire life in community, that this can then be experienced on an individual level, in your relationships, and in church. So how do we enter into this? How do we begin to experience this? And not just have it be something on paper, not just a concept that is out there, but how do we live into it? Well, keep those Bibles open. If you close them, open them back up. Take a look again at Colossians 3.15. The Apostle Paul, one of the first leaders of the church, in a very tumultuous time, he was beaten for his faith, He was shipwrecked. He was nearly killed. He was thrown in jail. He says this in verse 15. He says, And let the peace of Christ, let's just pause there. The peace of Christ, this isn't just any old peace. This is the peace of Christ. This isn't like a circumstantial peace, which we've all experienced. You know, things are going good you know you're kind of good with your parents or good with your spouse or good with your kids or good with your neighbors or the the finances are there you know things are going okay at work you know that's like worldly peace circumstantial peace jesus says i have come to give you a peace that the world cannot give this is a peace that surpasses all circumstances That no matter what you experience in life, no matter how much you mess things up or other people mess things up for you, there is a peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding. You can't even describe it. You can't understand it. You can't consider the source of it. It's supernatural. It's divine. It's it's beyond anything else that is out there. And the Apostle Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to rule in your life. Now the New Testament was written in the Koine Greek. This Greek language, and as we translate from the original Greek language into English or French or German, we can lose things in the translation that were intended in that original language. Well, the word rule, the Greek word actually gives the image of an umpire or a referee, refing, umping, a sporting event. Now, I know there's some tennis players here and I've got nothing against tennis at all, but when you look at, you know, if you were to imagine right now, if you're a tennis player, you know, the referee kind of just sitting back, you know, and they kind of do their thing every like 10 minutes or so, they're kind of just watching, and every once in a while, maybe John McEnroe is playing, and it gets a little exciting, right? But you know, they kind of just sit back, they're passive. Get that image out of your mind of an ump or a referee ruling Because in the first century, tennis hadn't been invented yet and sporting events were actually much more intense, much more violent, and actually some people were killed because of the level of sporting in the first century. You think about the gladiators, you think about some of these intense events. They needed someone who had the authority to come in and to rule, who would actually be willing to step in and to save lives to be able to be willing to get into the fray, into the messiness, to put themselves out on the line. When you think about football refs today, hockey refs today, boxing referees today, they're willing, rugby referees, they're willing to get into the scrum, to get in between the players, to get knocked over. They have a courage to come in for the sake of what's good for the whole. You think about those refs. Imagine refing between Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson. And in those moments where you've got to step in, you might take a, a shot to the chin. That's the image that Paul wants us to have when considering the peace of Christ. That there are conflicts that you're going to experience in your life. Not only internally within yourself, with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, and you actually have a ref, you have an umpire, it's Jesus Christ, and he wants to come and he wants to rule. He wants to blow the whistle. He wants to throw the red flag. Jesus is willing to get into the midst of the scrum, in the midst of the fight, and reveal to you what is right and what is wrong, to show you who God is and who you are. That if you hear a message that you are unloved, that you are unworthy, Jesus blows the whistle and says, no, you are loved. You are worthy in me. But that can't be a concept. In the same way that a referee can't be off in another room with the video screen refing from afar and just getting these little notes down to the field, it has to be experienced. And when you think about the best referees, They don't let the players rule the referee. They don't let the fans rule the referee. They don't let the coaches rule the referee. The ref rules the game. And Jesus wants to come into your life, into your conflicts, into your pain cycle, into the hurricane of the pain in your life. And he says, I want to rule. I want to reign. I want to speak truth. And I want you to experience the truth that I have for you. I want you to experience what it means to belong, to be loved, to be forgiven, not just conceptually, and I'm willing to get in the thick of it for you. And that's the beautiful thing that we find in Scripture as we begin to not only read Scripture, but we begin to experience that Jesus went so far that it says in Isaiah that Jesus became our pain That he looked, he literally, he he bore, he he carried our suffering. That's how much Jesus is for you. That no matter how bad this is, no matter how much the pain cycle's been going on in your life, and no matter how much you perpetuate it, no matter what you did last night, or you'll do tonight, or what you're going to do next week, Jesus went to the cross and bore it all for you. So he not only understands, but he chose... To enter into that hurricane, as you were taking the shot on your spouse, or you were taking the shot on your parents, or you were taking the shot on your boss, or your coworkers, your neighbor, the person that cut you off on the freeway, Jesus steps in to take the hit, and He longs for you, for me, to let the peace of Christ rule, to reign in our hearts, in our life. What does that mean practically, even more practically? Well, there's three things, and they're represented by three words. You can see this throughout all of Scripture, and we have it right here in Colossians as well. You've heard these three words before, and if you're taking notes, write these down. The first is learn, the second is be, and the third is do some very tangible active things that we can experience, not just conceptually, but we can experience that reign and that rule of the peace of Christ in our life to break us free from the pain cycles. Now, as a disclaimer, what I'm not saying is this. What I'm not saying is that all the pain in our life is simply healed. Then the brokenness of this world, there is great complexities in the chemical systems, the limbic systems in our body, and I believe absolutely that God uses science, that God uses medicine, that God uses therapy, that God can use all things in order to transform things. So it's not this simple fix. And I know people personally who have been able to find through medicine, through what God is doing in therapy, even beyond this, to begin to heal the broken things in our life. But when it comes to allowing the peace of Christ, to rule in our hearts, let's take a look at these three things. So if you look at the beginning of Colossians 3 in verse 1, it says this. Turn that page back, 957 in your pew Bible. Paul says, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's this great truth that if you're willing to commit to Christ and say, Jesus, I want to learn from you. I want to learn who you are. I want to learn who I am in you. Actually, it's a journey that you could spend the rest of your life allowing Christ to teach you. And as you set your minds and your heart on the truth of who you really are, not just your mind, but you actually begin to experience that there's some very powerful things Now, in the last 50 years, there's been this sad commentary on us as Christians. And it's completely untrue from what God intends. And kind of the view is this, is that Christians, you know, they're kind of simple-minded. They don't really think. They don't use logic. They don't use reason. They kind of just close their eyes and just kind of like this Pollyanna kind of wish things to be true. And we bury our feelings and we just have faith. And this passage in Scripture says, no, no. Christ is inviting you to think about the ramifications of what you believe. Take a look at this. In verse 3, it says, For you have died, past tense, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, if you were to learn the truth of what this means, and if you were to experience it, this is how you would experience it. You would begin to see and you would begin to understand that simply through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that all the brokenness, all the sin, all the ways in which you've inflicted pain on other people and pain has been inflicted upon you, that Jesus actually took that to the grave. So that when God looks at you in Christ, He looks at you as if you went to the cross. He looks at you as if you were seated at the right hand of the Father. It is a position in Christ that you actually then have to go from beyond just paper into the experience in community. And this is where being part of a church is so transformative. I've experienced this the last 16 years. I've given my life to Christ and I experienced it in pockets as part of churches even before I said yes to Jesus. Where I began to experience in community that even if I let people down, That they would look at me and say, you know, you you let me down, but I still love you. And I've let other people down too, and I know what it's like to have been forgiven, and I want to extend that forgiveness to you. And in that moment, what they are doing is that they are actually helping me experience the truth that Jesus wants to teach me. And I realized that even when I let people down, that people in my small group, for example, they don't bail on me. And then I experience not being alone. That when I let people down on staff, that they say, you know, you let me down, and here's ways in which I th- can think you can grow, but I want to speak truth in your life out of love, that I actually experience what it means to be loved. That in my marriage, when we are able to experience what it means to forgive one another, to be patient with one another, to actually allow some of these actions to pour forth from our life, we're actually helping one another experience what Jesus wants to teach us. And we're setting our hearts and our minds on things above, not things of the earth. And I'm telling you that if you individually, and if we as a church say, Jesus, I want to learn from you, and I want to learn from you in community… We begin to live into that house. We begin to drive that car. It goes beyond just being a piece of paper. And our lives begin to be transformed from the inside out. And that leads us to the second word. It's the word be. You see, it's not just about understanding. It's not just about coming into our lives. It's not just about coming into our hearts and our minds and just learning. It's about this inner work. It's a transformation. Paul puts it this way. Turn the page. It's where we started today. In verse 12, it says, "As God's chosen ones... You've been chosen by the King of Kings. He loves you. He pursues you. You are holy. You are beloved. So therefore, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. That word compassion, just for a moment. I want to talk about the difference briefly between three words, apathy, sympathy, and compassion. Apathy is avoiding pain. Somebody is going through something and you you don't care because you you want to avoid the pain. You're not willing to enter into the pain of what they're going through. And so you're apathetic. You avoid the pain. You were without that pain. You were without the suffering that they're going through. Sympathy is, you know, you understand it. You can see it. You can recognize it. But compassion... Compassion is when you are willing to suffer with someone. You are willing to get into the pain with them. That your heart is grieved when they are grieved. That, that you shed tears as they shed tears. Because you actually, you go beyond apathy and sympathy. You are compassion. That's what Jesus has done for us. He bore our suffering. He bore our pain. He knows exactly what we're going through. And the Apostle Paul says that you can't just do that. It's got to be a heart change. And the more that you are with God and being with God, the more you're going to be like Christ. And you'll actually do things that are compassionate. You'll actually forgive others. You'll bear each other's burdens. And that's the last part, the do. And it comes out here at the very end of chapter 3 and it talks about how we need to forgive one another and bear one another's burdens that you have to let the word of Christ dwell in you. To do all of these things, whether in word or deed, to do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We get to experience that together as a family. And that takes time and it takes work. And it takes a willingness not to bury the pain or to avoid the pain or to minimize the pain, but as pain-stricken people, we show up and we say, I need help. I need to grow. I need encouragement. I need love. I need forgiveness, and if we are willing to offer that to one another, how much could our lives in this city, in this world be transformed? But again, it's got to begin with that, that amazing truth where Jesus, through Paul, says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let Christ come as the referee to speak truth, to flag the things that are untruthful, to come and help you experience what God longs for you. And the amazing thing is that as you experience that, Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, says, I want you now to be my ambassadors. I want the rule to be extended through you. I want you to be peacemakers in this city, in your families, in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces. I want you to be ambassadors for the Prince of Peace so that you would go in and imagine this. Imagine if every conflict you get into Imagine it, as you spend more time in God's Word, more time with God's people, that if you would actually hear the truth of who you are and the truth of what God says about you in the situation, imagine if you were to hear, if Scripture could just bubble up in your heart, then what happens is you can go out in this city, and if you see bullying, that you can come alongside the person being bullied, and you can say, you are not alone. I want to walk this journey with you. That if you see hatred, if you see injustice, if you see racism, if you see classism, if you see all the brokenness in this world, that you actually, you have this strength of Christ in you to be his ambassadors. To be used by God to speak truth. To be that one who is willing to get into the fray in the midst of the fights, to get into the scrums, to actually go onto the field of the brokenness of this world as we follow Jesus every day and everywhere with everyone because we long, it's our longing that every person, Every person, this is God's heart, that every person, every neighborhood, and every city on this earth would be revived and renewed by Jesus. That's what we want. That's what we long for. And Jesus says, you ready? Because I want to do it through you. I want my peace to rule in your hearts and in your lives. And I want to send you out to be those peacemakers. And as you say yes to that, Stories are going to come forth. We're hearing stories of where God is already doing this. We want to share one of those stories. It's a a short story, a simple story of some person who stepped out, one of our own, who isn't perfect like all of us, but is willing to follow Christ. This is Yava's story. Take a look.
1: He's a veteran of life on the streets. I'm a rookie on my journey with God. Our two lives met, connected through God's timing and my newly found faith. His name is Luigi. My name is Yavani. They call me Yava. This is how God blessed both of our lives. I met Luigi around the corner from my office at a park while I was walking my dogs. What prompted me to stop and talk to Luigi that day was I'm friends with all of the homeless people in the park, and he was just someone that I didn't recognize. Hello. And I just thought, well, let me go say hi to him just so he knows that I'm part of the neighborhood and he's welcome. Luigi told me that he was shot two years ago in the back. He was also experiencing an infection in one of his legs. And of course, he was homeless. He couldn't afford medicine. I got the courage to pray for Luigi from the Holy Spirit. I had never prayed for anyone before out loud. (laughs) I didn't want him to feel uncomfortable, kind of like, you know, this Jesus freak is coming at me, who is this person? So I just kneeled down in front of him and I asked if I could put my hand on his infected leg. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for... When I started praying, I I didn't know what to say. I just said, Lord, lead me in this prayer for Luigi. And before I knew it, I was just asking, the Lord to heal his leg and to make him feel loved. Heal his leg and heal his back. When I finished praying for Luigi, I just thanked the Holy Spirit for allowing me to be his vessel to, to reach out to Luigi because I just have this overwhelming desire to like tell everyone about Jesus. The next time I saw Luigi was probably three weeks after the Lord led me to pray for him. and I didn't recognize him at first, he, there was this guy just rode by on his bike and he yelled out, Hey Yava, And he waved and I just said, Hey! And then I looked and I said, Luigi? I'm like Luigi, you look great! How are you? How's your leg? and he was like oh my leg is great look i'm able to ride my bike i haven't been able to ride this bike in months and i just i'm so thankful that you prayed for me the lord healed my leg and i am great and i was i was just so overjoyed because i just got to see the the holy spirit work a miracle in someone else and i have a relationship with god and i know for me that he's real but sometimes, you know, in in my in my moments where I, I'm like, Lord, where are you? <laughs> I think a situation where I see God working in someone else, God wants me to see that so that He can say, see, I, I am working and I'm showing you through Luigi that I am here. I heard your prayer for him and he I'm gonna do what I can for Luigi. I feel like I needed to pray for Luigi as much as Luigi needed me to pray for him because (sighs) when I can see that the Lord is healing another person, it makes me believe more for myself that that my my prayers are going to be answered.
0: These are our stories of what God is desiring to write in and through us. And in fact, there's some cards right in front of you uh, in the pew. And you'll notice on the top, it says, I see Jesus in. And there's a blank. And if you have stories of how you feel that you were experiencing God, and the things that we've been talking about, we want to tell those stories. We've got a ministry called God's Story. We simply want to tell the stories of God and in through this place. There's so many stories of what God is doing. We want you to experience it. And you can't just experience it if you just come and go. There's a choice to actually step out and to experience through our life groups, through service, through the things that we have on Sundays, through the many things that we have off the hill. God is inviting you to experience the peace that he died for, to give you, in such a way that it transforms everything. That's what we long for. That's what we yearn for. And that's what we as a church want to give our lives to. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you tell us in Scripture that in the moment, one person turns towards you, God, that there's rejoicing in heaven among the angels. And God, I know that every time we gather, there's always at least one person that is yet to say yes to you, Jesus, whether here or online. And God, I pray that your spirit would draw that person, those people, no matter what they're going through, that you would remind them that in this instant, that they can simply say yes to that invitation of love that you extend. Jesus, tells us in Scripture that when we confess that you are Lord, when we believe in our heart that God raised you from the dead, that we're saved. And in that instant, we're a new creation, we're adopted into God's family, that God, your spirit begins to dwell in us. So as we respond to this message today that you have for us, as we, as we sing songs of worship, God, will we not overlook the fact that you are the one that calls us? Some for the thousandth time and some for the first time. And God, during this time, if anyone says yes to you, Jesus, for the first time, would you give them the courage to share that with somebody after the service, somebody they came with, somebody up front after the service, part of the prayer team, anyone? May we see what the angels see. And we, we join that celebration in heaven. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you call us out to follow you. No matter how adventurous and daunting it may be, lead us in this moment. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray and we say together, amen.